Good morning. I heard about a Sunday school teacher who shared the story of Jonah with her class. And so often, that's where Jonah gets shared most of the time, is in Sunday school. We've all seen the wonderful kids' books that usually end with Jonah chapter 2, with uh, Jonah being uh, spit up on the beach after his fateful journey in, uh, in the whale. Usually it's a whale. And uh, but the the Sunday school teacher taught this the, the class, and then she came to the end of the lesson, and she asked the class. She said, "What does the book of Jonah teach us?" And one little girl immediately responded and said, "People make whales throw up." And so she asked for somebody else to give, a, give an answer, and a little boy said, I've learned that it's best to travel by air. <laughs> oh, well, what a great introduction to the book of Jonah. So turn there, if you would, with me to Jonah. And if you're wondering where Jonah is, it's right after Obadiah, <laughs> since you know how to get there now. But you know, of all the fish stories there are, the book of Jonah is no doubt the most famous. Uh, but to many people, though, Jonah is just that. It's a fish story. It's sort of, you know, it's a parable. It's not really historical. It didn't really happen. People look at the book of Jonah sometimes as this ridiculous contribution to the Bible. It, you know, it's a fun story, and it's got a spiritual lesson, but come on, a guy being swallowed by a big fish? How in the world is that realistic? Well, Jonah was indeed a historical person. In fact, the book of 2 Kings mentions Jonah as a prophet from the town of Gath-Hefer, don't hear about that place very much, Gath Heifer. He, it, that was up by, well, uh, the location of it is up by Nazareth. Actually, if you go to Israel and you're traveling typically from Tiberias to Nazareth, you're going to go right by Gath Heifer and uh, make sure if you're ever there that you ask your guide to point it out to you. It'll be on the right, and it's a big hill of nothing now, but that's where Jonah was from. Jonah from Gath Heifer. And sort of an interesting sidebar, too. Remember when the the uh, Pharisees sort of balked at the fact that the Messiah would come from Galilee. They say, no prophet comes from Galilee. Jonah came from Gath-Hefer, which was Galilee. So anyway, there's a lot to learn from Jonah, even outside the book of Jonah. But Jesus referred to Jonah also as a historical figure. In fact, Jesus only referred to, I think it was four Old Testament prophets. I know Isaiah and Jeremiah for sure. I'm not sure what the third one was, but the fourth was Jonah as a historical figure. In fact, Jesus used the, um, the point of uh, the whole point of, of the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, connected it with Jonah in the fish for three days. So it's amazing also how this book of a 7th century BC prophet can teach us in the 21st century today. Four short chapters. Each of the chapters, we're going to pull a lesson from it. So um, we're going to work our way through most of the text of this book and get some great practical teaching 
uh, because uh, it's very relevant for us even this far removed from the time in which it happened. So let's begin Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and read this familiar story with perhaps some not-so-familiar principles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen fast, sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the, mere, then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. If you looked at a map of where all these places were, you'd sort of get a chuckle because God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which is east, way east. Jonah decided to go to Tarshish, which is probably in the area of Spain. And if you think about that in relation to Israel, that is the opposite direction. That's west, as far west as you could go. Jonah is like saying, I am not going to Nineveh. I am going as far away from Nineveh as I can find. So he went down to Joppa, got on a boat for Tarshish. And it's funny, if you uh, go to Joppa today, there's still the ancient port is still in the same location. They've got modern boats all around it. 
But uh, they've even got a little statue of a whale down there where you can remember Jonah and his fateful journey that set off from Joppa. Why in the world did Jonah decide, I ain't going to Nineveh? Well, we'll learn a little bit later, but specifically, just historically, we know that the Assyrians were a country of brutal people. If you ever get the occasion to go to London and go to the British Museum, and if you go to London, you must go to the British Museum, there is a wonderful section of uh, wall reliefs they're basically carvings that were taken down from the Assyrian palace in Nineveh. And it w it's of the uh, Assyrian battle in, of the Assyrian defeat of Lachish in Israel. So it has nothing to do with Jonah, but what it does have to do with is showing Assyrian methods of battle. When the Assyrians would come in, they would grab people who weren't smart enough and fast enough to get inside the city walls, and they would impale them they had a particular method of impaling you where you would not die immediately. And they would put the impaled people around the city basically to say, if you don't surrender, this is what we're doing to everybody. Those wall reliefs in, in the British Museum show, I mean, you can walk there and see these carvings of, of what the Assyrians would do to their captives. In fact, what they did to the Jews, what they did to the Hebrews at Lachish. It shows them being impaled. It also shows them being flailed or, or flayed and their, uh, their skin being take, basically cut off while they're being held. I mean, it's right there in the British Museum. You can just walk up there and look at the wall and there it is right, right there. This is what the Assyrians did. Jonah knew this. This is sort of like somebody from Poland during the early years of World War II, being told to go to Berlin and preach the gospel to the Nazis. You gotta be kidding. I'm going the opposite direction. God can judge those people. Jonah wanted nothing to do with going to Nineveh. Well, they asked Jonah, the sailors asked where he's from. They want to, it's not small talk here. They want to figure out why in the world is this storm happening because we know it's your fault. And if you ever heard of someone being a Jonah on a boat, this is where it comes from. It's, it's turned into somebody who's bad luck, but really it ought to be somebody who's running from God because that's what Jonah was doing. And they ask him, who are you? And he basically says, well, I'm this, well, I'm that, but basically I'm the guy that worships the God that made this ocean. We're, we're in his hands. And this is why the sailors were so afraid. And then there's this wonderful, so they throw him over and it's immediately calm, which must have been amazing to a group of sailors. And notice what we read there in uh, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. This is what critics balk at. They say uh, that it can't be historical. It's really actually kind of an old argument because there have been enough modern accounts of, of sailors who have either fallen overboard or in a harpoon uh, gone wrong accident where they fall over and a whale swallows them and then the whale gets captured and they cut open the stomach and this screaming, terrified man comes out of, the, out of the stomach, bleached white from stomach acid. So think about that in relation to Jonah. If he was bleached white with stomach acid, I mean, this crazy nut, you know, 
looking like an albino, was running through the town, you'd probably listen to him as well. <laughs> but if you want to read a great uh, piece on this, look at National Geographic, the December issue of 1992. talks about the whale shark and the, the legitimacy, the possibility of a person surviving in the stomach of this great fish. So, a lesson from chapter 1 is very, very simple. God pursues us when we run. God pursues us when we run from Him. Twice we're told, and we've read it twice so far, that Jonah was running from God. Rather than doing what God said, Jonah ran. And he nearly lost his life for doing that. Running from God is futile. I mean, how do you run from God? God's everywhere. Running from the will of God is what really Jonah was doing. And God is incredibly patient, and he has an amazing ingenuity for helping you to see things his way. Notice in verse 4, it was the Lord who hurled the storm on Jonah. And then in verse 17, we read a couple of times, it was the Lord who appointed the fish to save Jonah. He appointed the storm to get Jonah in the sea. He appointed the, the fish to swallow Jonah. God was pursuing. God was taking the initiative. God is the one doing the action, moving the story forward. It's all God. Why was he doing this? Well, keep your finger here in Jonah and turn to the last book of the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. This is in the section, the early chapters of uh, Revelation, where the Apostle John, interesting, John's name means Jonah in, the, uh, uh, in Greek, the Greek transliteration of, of John is, we call it John, but in, in Hebrew, his name would have been Jonah. So all the Johns are really Jonahs in Hebrew. Anyway, the Apostle Jonah, the Apostle John here, writes in Revelation 3, and he's quoting the Lord Jesus. Look at Revelation 3.19. This is what was written to the church of Laodicea. Christ says, this is the Lord Jesus' words, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Look at that verse. Those whom I love... When God chases us like he did with Jonah, it's because he loves us. Not just because he's mad or because he has wrath. He doesn't uh, reprove and discipline out of anger or out of, certainly out of hatred. But his motive is love. I reprove and discipline for what purpose? Therefore, be zealous and repent. And then look at this wonderful, very familiar invitation. The very next verse, verse 20. When we do, when he reproves us and disciplines us and gives us that, puts us in that storm, to use Jonah's context, and we repent, he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is a promise of restored and renewed fellowship. 
When you eat with someone, it's a, it's a picture of fellowship. And Jesus is saying, those who are out of my will, those Christians who are out of my will, I love them. And I'm going to discipline them and I'm going to reprove them so that they'll repent so that I can come in and have fellowship again. So turn back to Jonah. This is God's method. God puts storms in our lives. When we are running from the will of God, God puts a storm. God appoints a storm that is perfectly suited to get us into the position of repentance. God appointed a fish, a great fish, to swallow Jonah to save him when Jonah could have, should have, by all rights, gone right to the bottom. After all, he was running from God. He deserved it. But God didn't let Jonah die. God saved him in such a context that it would change Jonah's perspective, that it would open up his heart to repentance. And this is what he does. Look at verse uh, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed. Now, let me pause there for a second. The English doesn't have it. Um, well, it says then, and you could interpret that. I don't know. Does your translation say then? Does it begin with then? Then is a good one. You could even say and then, because the Hebrew is very specific. The Hebrew has a wonderful little uh, device in it that's used all throughout the Hebrew Bible to show sequence. The, we could almost number. This happens number one. This happens number two. This happens number three. Well, here in chapter two, actually, you may have a note in your margin that shows that verse 17 is actually the verse one of chapter two in the Hebrew. And in the Hebrew Bible, the, verse 17 actually begins chapter two. So it makes sense. It really could go both ways. Uh, the, the, the chapter breaks and the verses aren't inspired, but they're arranged differently, uh, for, obviously for different uh, times of history. Anyway, my point is that Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights, and then Jonah prayed. It took him three days of being in that fish before he goes, you know what? I need to repent. <laughs> then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had, you had me cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Almost like this could have happened on day one, Jonah, if you had prayed three days ago. 
But notice the sequence. Three days, and then he prayed, and then the fish vomited Jonah. The, the storm worked. And here's the lesson of chapter 2. God's storm of grace should drive us to repent. Boy, that's simple to say until you've been in that storm. Have you ever been in that storm? That's a tough place to be in the storm of God because they're tailor-made. God made this storm for Jonah and it transformed his thinking. And if you've ever been in the storm, and by the storm I mean you are in a place because of your willful rebellion against God, and he puts you there in such a way that you know that's why you're there, it motivates you to repent. And that's exactly what Jonah did. The pain is intended to drive us to repentance. Jonah was in the fish three days before Jonah finally let go and repented. And he praises God for his salvation, which is a great place to be. God wants us to walk with him just like we read there in Revelation chapter 3. He wants, Christ wants to enter in and to have fellowship with us once again. So, good old Jonah, now he's got it. He's ready to go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go throughout the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, we'll skip verses 5 through 9 here, but basically, bottom line, they repent. Amazing. These wicked, evil Ninevites, the Assyrians, say, you know what? He's right. we got to repent. And they do. Look at verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Well, here you've got a great, uh, a great response by the Assyrians. They actually did what Jonah responded to what Jonah said. They repented. They, um, from the greatest to the least, the king of Nineveh did it, and he even made the animals repent. You know, as it were. I mean, we're going to repent so much. Let's put sackcloth on the cow. This is how seriously they took it. But notice. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, the second time, literally. In other words, the exact same message, take two. And if you were to compare the beginning of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 3, you'll see the, uh, the command, arise, go to Nineveh, is pretty much the same. God repeated it. And this time, Jonah responded in obedience. But he went with a heart, hoping that God would judge him just like he said he would. But before we get into that, there's a lesson in chapter 3 that is such a good lesson. And it's simply this. God still wants to use us in spite of our failure. 
You know, God could have uh, called in any number of prophets. Jonah blew it, let him sink, and I'll just call prophet number 207. Let's just get the next guy, somebody who's going to listen to me. But the Lord didn't do that. He gave Jonah a second chance. He was not only working through Jonah to bring the message, he was working in Jonah to change Jonah's life, which is what is true in our lives as well. If you are in the ministry, God is not just using you, you know, to work through you. He is working in you. He was using the ministry to work in you. He's not just using you to work in the ministry. In fact, all of us as Christians are in the ministry in the sense that God still has us alive and kicking because he wants to use us. And he gives us a second chance for that purpose. God still wants to use us in spite of our failure. God's word came to Jonah a second time, gave him a second chance. After Jesus told Peter, remember, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me uh, tonight, this very night. You're going to deny me. And what, how did Peter respond? Well, he denied that he would deny him. And Jesus said, basically talked about the rooster and all that, but then Jesus added this, Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. I love that because Jesus not only predicted G Peter's failure, but he predicted his repentance. In fact, he said, when you repent, I'm not done with you. I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to take what you learned when you blew it and use that to strengthen other people. That's what God does in our failures. He takes us, he teaches us, he humbles us, and then he uses us in spite of us to encourage others. Whatever it is you've done, whether it was this week or whether it was 50 years ago, you're not beyond forgiveness, and neither am I. We're not beyond the grace of God. And by the way, neither is that person that you think is beyond the grace of God that you've given up on. They aren't. They're still in the storm or they're still in process. God is still working in their lives. They just got to be in the fish a little longer. God still wants to use us in spite of our failure. Boy, what a great message. Well, chapter 4. We think Jonah's got it. But then notice the first verse. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Wait a minute. Let's pause right there. What greatly displeased Jonah? The verse right before this says, When God saw their deeds, their repentance, God relented concerning the calamity which he had decided he would do, and he did not do it. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Jonah was mad that God didn't toast the Ninevites. Jonah, Jonah's message, in 40 days Nineveh is going to be destroyed, is now, well, I take it back. Jonah now has got egg on his face. He went around saying this is going to happen and it's not going to happen. And Jonah gets mad. Verse 2, He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, 
Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindnesses, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from his discomfort, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, which you did not work, for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Notice the whole book just ends with a question, with the obvious answer, yes, I should be concerned, and by the way, Jonah, so should you. If we look at the big picture of this book which we've just read, we see in it some really neat things. And one of them is Jonah prays only twice in this book, both times in response to salvation. The first time Jonah prays, it's in response to his salvation. And boy, it's all praise God, isn't it? The second time he prays is also in response to salvation, but it's a different prayer. Now he's praying, God, this is exactly what I knew you would do. You're such a gracious God. I didn't want those Ninevites to be saved. This is the reason I ran to Tarshish. We are meant to see Jonah's hypocrisy only for a moment. And then, then we are meant to see our own. Because this last little bit here about the plant really, really strikes home for those of us who live here in North America, in the very prosperous nation of the United States of America. Jonah was more concerned for his creature comforts than he was for a city of hundreds of thousands of people who potentially would perish. The comparison here, or the the. 120,000 persons who don't know their right from their left probably is a reference to children. And the fact that they don't know their right from the left means that they're so young that they're still innocent. Which means, God was saying, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the city that has repented, 
plus this city that has 120,000 kids that don't even know right from wrong yet. And you want, them, you want me to destroy them. You're more concerned about a plant and your own comfort than you are about my commission. That is a tough way to end this book because it strikes home for us. If we think if the air conditioning goes out in our car, it's a minor emergency, isn't it? Especially for those of us who live in Texas. And if it goes out in our house, I mean, stop everything and and get the get the fixers here as quick as we can because this this just isn't right. This is a basic fundamental right, isn't it? That I'd be comfortable. We make it priority one when we're not comfortable. And this was Jonah. When God told Jonah to go the second time, he went, but he preached his message, hoping that the city would be destroyed. God is so patient to teach us. Throughout this book, I, I, we've emphasized it, but I hope that you've seen that God uses any and every means possible to communicate to his wandering prophet. To, to the believer who was running from the will of God. God used the storm. God, we're told that God appointed the storm, the fish, the sun, the plant, the worm, the wind. These are the things specifically we're told that God used to get to Jonah. Everything from a great fish to a little worm. Everything from a great storm at the sea blown and tossed by the winds to an east wind that blows and uh, makes Jonah's head hot. God uses it all. God used the heat as an object lesson for Jonah. And he asks, are you right to be angry? Notice the first time he asks that, Jonah doesn't answer. Do you have a good reason to be angry? No answer. And so we have this deal with the plant, and then God says, do you have a, a good reason to be angry about the plant? So let's forget the Ninevites for a second. How about the plant? Yeah, I got a reason to be angry about the plant. Then God uses the plant to show, no, you really don't, because there's a greater need over here with these people who don't know me, who have repented at your simple message, and now they know me, and you're pouting about it. Well, here's the fourth lesson. It's the longest and the most uncomfortable. God wants our priorities to go beyond our creature comforts to his commission. God wants our priorities to go beyond our creature comforts to his commission. And from our perspective, to his great commission. The creature comforts became for Jonah more important than people believing in God. Shade and comfort meant more to him than 120,000 children, innocent children, who would, who would die. Jonah had compassion on a plant. Interesting, notice how God said that. Jonah, you had compassion on a plant. Should I not have compassion on these people I created? And if the author of Jonah, the book of Jonah, was Jonah, and it probably was, then we know that Jonah got it because he wrote the book. And we know that Jonah got the specific message of the book because of the way that it's structured, uh, as we pointed out as we walked our way through it, 
it's, an, it's intended to get your attention at Jonah's hypocrisy. And we believe, we can assume that Jonah came around because he wrote the book under the inspiration of the, script, of the Holy Spirit and had that wonderful question there, the very last verse, should I not care about these people? You know, God wants more for us than the American dream. Uh, I'm not sure he wants the American dream for us. We want it. But uh, as long as we can have it inside the will of God, great. But our priorities are determined not by creature comforts, but by the word of God. So no, the message of Jonah isn't that uh, people make whales throw up, though evidently they do. It's not that uh, we need to travel by air, though it probably is a little safer. The message is that God reaches out to the prodigal. You know, the message of Jonah is really Jesus' message of the prodigal son. I don't know if you've thought about that connection, but it really is the same message. That you've got a prodigal who wanders out of the will of God. God provides that storm, that crisis that turns him. And he comes back. And the father is expecting him, waiting for him, and invites him back in. But there's also another problem. Now, we initially might think that the prodigal is Jonah. Nope, the prodigal was the Ninevites, at least when you compare the two. Jonah was that older brother who was self-righteous and didn't want that younger brother to repent. So there's a message that goes both ways. And honestly, we can find ourselves on both sides of the fence because we've all been prodigals uh, to a greater extent or, or a small extent. We've all wandered from God, the will of God. We've all experienced storms tailor-made to get our attention. We've all come back and enjoyed the sweet fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we all have also given greater priority to our air conditioning than to the gospel. We all have, myself included. The four lessons we've learned, I'll just repeat them once again. God pursues us when we run. And aren't we glad he does? God's storm of grace should drive us to repent. Third, God still wants to use us in spite of our failure. And finally, God wants our priorities to include his commission and not just our creature comforts. You know, Jesus is one of the greatest examples. Well, he's the greatest example of anything, but he's a great example of this teaching of leaving creature comforts for the sake of the gospel. I mean, talk about leaving creature comforts. He left heaven to die on a cross for us. He set aside comfort, the ultimate comfort, even to the point of being willing to separate his fellowship from the Father on the cross. It was Jesus who used Jonah as an example when he said this. This is uh, from Luke 11. Jesus said, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Christ used Jonah and his three days in the fish as a picture, 
Jonah's coming out of the fish, of being vomited out of the fish, is a, a sort of an interesting metaphor for Jesus' resurrection. But Jesus uses that. He says, same was true of Jonah, it's going to be true of me. I was, at a, I was in, entombed in death, but I came out in life. And this was a sign to Israel. Something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus. How much more so should we repent when God sends his storms of grace? Jonah repented and God was merciful. Let me say that again. Jonah repented and God was merciful. The Ninevites repented. God was merciful. God wants us to repent. Guess why? so he can be merciful to us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this familiar book gives us some wonderful lessons that go beyond a simple children's story that get right to the very heart of who we are. We're all like Jonah, so uh, loving, to be considered great Christians or a great prophet from Jonah's perspective. And yet, we draw the line sometimes when you give us commands and we run to Tarshish. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for knowing where we are. Thank you for providing the storms, the great fish, the worms, the plants, the opportunities for second chances, all that you do in our lives that communicate over and over and over that you're not done with us, that our failures are never a dead end, that they're simply a means of learning, of humbling, and of being more effectively and powerfully used to share the gospel with others. Thank you for this wonderful reminder today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.